from the team at CTS, this is the Time Crunch Cyclist Podcast, our show dedicated to answering your training questions and providing actionable advice to help you improve your performance, even if you're strapped for time. I'm your host, Coach Adam Pulford, and I'm one of the over 50 professional coaches who make up the team at CTS. In each episode, I draw on our team's collective knowledge, other coaches, and experts in the field to provide you with the practical ways to get the most out of your training and ultimately become the best cyclist that you can be. Now, on to our show. Welcome back, Time Crunched fans. Today is another Q&A episode where I answer questions directly from you, our listeners. And today we are swinging back to the topic of good old Zone 2 training. Now, before we get there, for anyone who's just joining us, the Time Crunch Cyclist Podcast takes important concepts from all things endurance training and compacts them into a show that's usually about 15 to 20 minutes in length because, well, that's the spirit of the Time Crunched Athlete. A big and growing component of the show is hearing from you, our listeners, asking whatever questions you want in the areas of physiology, psychology, nutrition, hydration, tech questions, coaching, strength training, you name it. Those questions get sent directly to me and I answer them on the, uh, I answer them on the show, just like what we're going to do right now. So here it is. My question is, do you really have to stay in zone two for all the endurance benefit? I had success in a speed play, quote unquote, or fartlek method, followed by one to two hours of endurance pace once I somewhat got spent. I did this several days a week, mixed the, in, uh, the intervals and races, and I found that I could manage challenging tempo changes and finish strong in a 104-mile district road race, USCF days. Yeah, that's, that's a long time ago, but good days too. Uh, am I ruining my endurance ride by throwing in the occasional sprint? I've seen good research to support the need of zone two. Time in zone two is clearly critical for performance. And this is coming from Brian, 57 years old and still enjoying the bike in Orem, Utah. Yeah, Brian, uh, great question. And as my typical format here is my short answer is likely not. You're, you're likely not uh, ruining your endurance ride. However, as a good coach always likes to say, it depends. So let's get into a longer answer and let's get into a couple scenarios where it does depend. So a reminder here is that zone two endurance is meant to build aerobic capacity. That is the main premise. In order to do this, you need to train aerobically for the majority of the time. At CTS, yeah, we, we say 90% of the duration of the ride should be in your endurance miles range or zone two training. This accounts for some surges that may naturally occur after stopping at a red light and accelerating again. Maybe you're avoiding some traffic, getting chased by the prolific dog that's, that's in the neighborhood, something like that. Uh, but note that these aren't really the focus or the, or the point of the training. And those efforts shouldn't be all that strong anyway, unless the dog is really fast, right? So no, you're not going to ruin the endurance benefit by spiking over zone two once in a while. However, if you are intentionally sprinting or jamming on every single endurance ride, I'd simply ask, what's the goal here? 
what are you trying, what are you trying to achieve by doing that every single time? So it's, it's not a new question. And in fact, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. It's a question that I asked when I was a young coach and I recall asking pretty much the same question to a very senior coach to me. His name was Craig Griffin. And his response was, you're just missing the point mate in his New Zealand accent. Uh, well, probably, you know, busy behind his keyboard, looking at the computer screen, didn't even look at me. <laughs> so after like some silence, I, I had some follow-up questions and you know, we had a good conversation about that. And, and, but only later did I really understand his full point. And his full point is when you're asking that question, you are missing the point of endurance. And so the key element here is when you go hard, you're flipping the anaerobic switches in your body. You're recruiting bigger nerves and muscles. You're recruiting those type two fibers versus type one that you do in endurance training. And you start to shift the stress to different energy systems. So the ATP PCR system, the glycolytic energy system, and you're no longer is primarily stressing the aerobic system as much. Thus, you're not getting the full benefit out of the aerobic system. Now let's remind ourselves what the benefits are of aerobic training or training the aerobic system. You're increasing aerobic capacity. You're increasing mitochondrial density. You're increasing fat utilization and you're increasing the ability to clear lactate through a specific transporter that's only found in type one muscle fibers. So if you do your aerobic training, you're stressing the muscle fibers. You're stressing that system in a way that's going to improve and, and build that base even bigger. So you can do all those things I just described much better later on in the year or later on whenever, right? So aerobic, so if aerobic training is the goal and you start doing more anaerobic work during that session, it's a competing interest and you will likely not get the full benefit of the endurance training. You're, you're essentially just kind of like kind of pulling again, you know, kind of tug of war between the aerobic and anaerobic system. So how much is too much anaerobic <laughs> effort during endurance training? Honestly, I, I don't have the exact number, but I think as coach Griffin basically said, if you're asking that question, you're essentially missing the point of doing of the whole concept. Anyway, I think that if you stick to that 90, 90% of your aerobic training uh, as CTS methodology kind of forms it up. I mean, if you go out on a ride and 90% of the duration is found in that zone two training, you're good to go better yet. While riding endurance, simply focus on an effort that feels like a four to five out of 10 on that rate of perceived effort scale. One being super easy, 10 being a max effort. We want our endurance to be somewhere four or five, maybe a couple periods of six. Do that and you'll be training properly. Another indicator is if you like, you know, the fancy metrics and numbers and things like this, when I'm prescribing endurance training, when athletes are doing it properly, I'm going to find that these intensity factors or IF on training peaks, it's going to be anywhere between as low as 0.55 and up to about 0.7, maybe 0.73, somewhere in there. Um, not super hard and fast, but somewhere in that genre of things, that's going to confirm that it's a, a very good aerobic ride. Additionally, normalized power, probably not going to be much higher than the top end of your zone two 
training zone if your training zones are set up properly. So those are some other uh, data points that you can use to kind of point to make sure that you're doing this right. Okay. Now I wanted to, Brian, I, I want to walk through a couple scenarios and for our listeners, maybe of where I'll put in some anaerobic efforts for um, like during an endurance day, because I'm not, I'm not a Puritan. <laughs> I, I, I don't never do this to, to use a double negative. I don't know if that really worked, but let's just say I'll incorporate some anaerobic efforts in an endurance ride sometimes. So here's a couple of those scenarios. So if I'm in a base building time period, and if I see an athlete adding in sprints or jamming up hills like this, I will ask them why. I mean, it's a simple thing that I just did to you, Brian. Um, and I'll typically advise them just not to do that because we're in a base building phase right now. We're trying to get all the benefits out of the aerobic system by training aerobically. However, in a case where say we're, we're in a build phase, right? We're doing some threshold work or VO2 work or something like that. And we've got a hard key workout on Wednesday. If we take a rest day on Monday and we have Tuesday as kind of this, I call it regulate and open up, I'll sometimes prescribe an endurance ride that has a few sprints or openers partway through once they're kind of warmed up and maybe like midway through or toward the end of the ride. And the reason I do that is because for some of my riders, they'll typically quote, feel better the next day. However, in, in kind of a key, like a, an example of that might be two to three 20 second openers where they're not max efforts. Maybe they feel like an eight or nine out of 10 and you got two to four minutes recovering between you do it again. That's the type of opener uh, sort of workout that I'm doing in a 60 to 90 minute ride. Okay. Now, even though I do that, it's important. It's important to realize that when I'm looking at the data, I typically do not see a performance increase <laughs> or a change really in that next day. It's simply because that rider feels a little bit better. Okay. So just kind of know that. Finally, a, a kind of a third scenario is if I do, if I'm working on aerobic training and I want some durability and some specificity of durability with anaerobic efforts, uh, sprinkled throughout a ride and like late in the game, I will do a long ride with a few quote efforts and I'll specify those efforts with a percentage of FTP that is anaerobic capacity or functional reserve capacity sort of training. And I'll put that like, like I said, later in the ride, maybe, maybe it's a four hour ride and I'll put it in at hour three or, you know, toward the end. So kind of like late in the game. Um, but it's important to realize on that one that if I'm doing a workout like that, and if I'm structuring it like that, that's, that's one of the hard days in the week. Okay. Um, I consider that a hard, not just a pure in, in endurance day. It's, it's got some anaerobic component to it, but I just wanted to kind of craft up that one scenario. The last thing I'll say here on this topic is, you know, in my own coaching practice, endurance training is the bread and butter of what my athletes are doing all the time throughout the year. But for most of my athletes, I have them doing some sort of intensity two to three times per week with two to three endurance days per week as well. If we're training four to six sessions per week. For my time crunched athletes, I'll sometimes go up to four times per week with intensity 
if we're trying to really, you know, build something, if we're trying to really stress an energy system like threshold, for example, and I'll still include one or two of those days as, as pure endurance. Okay. So if they're a high frequency rider, but low volume, I can get away with that, but I'm only going to do it once they have a good base underneath them. Okay. So it's, it's your point, Brian, when you, you kind of describe farlic intervals and kind of a mixture or cornucopia of intensities. Um, yeah, that's great. I, I do that too. But once you're fit, and this is why we talk about general periodization, uh, base build race sort of concept is you want to have that strong aerobic base before you do start, uh, smashing in all the other intensities. Okay. Now, if there's anything that you take away from this episode, please take away this. Keep your hard days hard, keep the endurance days as endurance, and keep your rest days as rest. Do that, and I think you'll find success in training, in racing, and everything that you do. If you want a deeper but still short read on this, I'll include a great article from Inigo Samalan. He's one of the more popular and experienced experienced applied physiologists right now, in my opinion. And if you read anything, um, he's a go-to expert on this. So I'll include that in to the show notes, but to bring this thing home. And in summary, you know, it's a, it's, this is a great question. I think many endurance athletes ask this question as I shared, uh, as a young coach, <laughs> I asked this question as well, you know, how, how much, you know, anaerobic can be an endurance ride before it's maybe not considered to be endurance anymore. Uh, so I want to take the full time in this episode to, to kind of tease out the answer and tease out some of the, some of the concept around how I arrived at that decision, because it's a really good topic and question. And so if you stick to these parameters that I covered to today of simply going out and riding your bike, focus on that perceived effort of four or five out of 10, don't stress if you got a surge up above to, you know, um, accelerate out of a stoplight or, or something like that. As long as 90% of the duration of time is spent in that zone to normalize powers in check, intensity factors in check, you'll be all good. Keep those endurance days endurance and you'll get the full benefit. That's it for today's show. I'm coach Adam Pulford. Thank you for joining us. Keep the questions coming in and look forward to hearing from you guys again soon. Thanks for joining us on the Time Crunch Cyclist Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you want even more actionable training advice, head over to trainright.com backslash newsletter and subscribe to our free weekly publication. Each week, you'll get in-depth training content that goes beyond what we cover here on the podcast that'll help you take your training to the next level. That's all for now. Until next time, train hard, train smart, train right.